Hey everyone, and welcome back to the Dental Practice Heroes Podcast. Today, I am going solo, and we're going to talk about how a great practice has grown. That burning, burning question. And we're going to try to keep this under 20 minutes, so yeah. Alright everybody, here we go. So, I wanted to do another solo podcast. My last one was about my bonus system that we've been using at my practice for about maybe 3-4 months now. Uh, I hope some of you guys have implemented that or at least got something out of it. It's been working really well for us. I don't have any intention of doing something else anytime soon. So, it's just been going really well and I hope you found that actionable. So I just wanted to do another one with some, you know, topic that's near and dear to my heart, which is just growing a practice, which who doesn't want to grow their practice, right? I mean, we all, that's, that's the goal. Let's grow our practice. So I'm going to kind of relate what I think a good way to do it is, and I'll relate it back to what my story is, not to say that my story is the only way. I mean, there's a million ways to skin a cat, but hopefully you can get something out of just hearing my experience and just the way I think about it. So I mean, first of all, we want to think about, you know, why do we want to grow anyway? You know, what's, what's so awesome with growth? And for most people, it's they just want more money, which is understandable. I think if you surveyed, you know, 100 people, I think probably 98 or 99 of them would say they want more money. But, you know, it, it doesn't matter how much we have. We always just want more of it. And that kind of reminds me of my, like, my dental school entrance exam, which I had a really hard time writing. I mean, for me, I was an advertising major, and I kind of I had this externship. It didn't go, it didn't work out. I didn't end up getting it, and I was like, "Man, I don't, I don't even know if I want to do advertising. This kind of sucks." And I was, I was kind of far in school where I couldn't change my major anymore. But started thinking about, well, I got pretty good grades. You know, could I be a dentist? You know, could I be a doctor? I mean, I don't want to be a doctor, like a medical doctor. I mean, working in a hospital probably sucks. So I started looking into dentistry, and I, you know. I'm not being shallow, but I think my primary motivation was, man, these guys make pretty good money. And thankfully, once I got into dental school, I really liked it. You know, I didn't have anyone in my family that was a dentist. I just, I I happened to like it. I went to school with a lot of people that didn't like it. But, you know, my primary motivator was money. And and I didn't write that on my, my entrance exam. You know, I wrote, I did the same story that probably a lot of us did. Like, oh yeah, I, uh, I, I, I was six years old and I fell and I hit my tooth and and uh, I went to my dentist, and it was just such an ex- amazing experience, you know. I mean, <laughs> no, nothing wrong if that was, like, your story. That's really cool. I mean, I actually did fall when I was six and knock out my front tooth, but I hated my dentist growing up, man. I, like, I remember in dental school we were talking about when we started seeing the pediatric rotation and talking about how difficult kids were. And then you get, like, that, that screamer kid, and you're like, dude, this is crazy. Like, I... You don't need, like you thought you wanted to be a pediatric because you liked working with kids until you had that one screaming kid and you're like, dude, I hate this. But I was telling my buddies, I'm like, man, I was that kid when I was little, and they're like, what? I was like, yeah, I uh, I remember getting some teeth taken out before I got braces on, and I was just like screaming. My mom's in the room, like, stop hurting them, and and I was just a bad patient. And then my buddies at school were like, well, how old were you? I'm like, man, I was probably to be like seven, six, seven. Because that's really how old I thought it was. And then they're like, well, why were you getting braces on when you were seven? And I was like, oh, shit. I think I was like 12. <laughs> like, So 
to my old dentist, I very much apologize for being that pain in the ass. I don't know what my parents did to me to create that kind of little monster at 12 years old, but, but you know, that was me. So anyway, so, so why do we want to grow? You know, we, we want more money, you know, we, we want, when we have more money, we, we could get more time, you know, you, you get more time off when you have more money, when you're more comfortable, you can take more weeks off, you can work less or we, you know, you get more convenience. Like some people just want to say, Hey, you know, I, I just want to be off every day at three. Cause I want to watch my kids sports and stuff like that. But it all kind of sums up when, is that when you have a better running practice, you have all of those things. You, you pretty much just have options. You know, and when you're more comfortable financially, you have options that you can take more time off. You can spend more money. You can take more vacations. You can trim down your hours. You can take on an associate. You can do all these things. You have options. So I just want to say, like, growth is about options. You know, we want to have options. And what better way to have options than to have a great running practice that produces and collects a lot of money? So there's something in my book, and this is a lot of stuff coming from my book, Dental Practice Hero, available on Amazon and Kindle and hard, eh, no paperback, no hardcover. Might be doing a audiobook soon, but we'll see if I ever get that done. But, you know, it's called my practice growth curve or my practice growth cycle. And before we kind of get into that, I want to talk about, you know, how do we measure growth? You know, do we do we do it by active patients? Do we do the doctor's net take-home pay? Are we looking at productions and collections? I mean, it really doesn't matter because if you think about it, when the practice is growing, all those things kind of go up together. So I, I don't care how you do it. I mean, when I look at my practice growth, I look at production. You know, my collections percentage is good, so my productions is just about as good as my collections. Uh, so, you know, whatever you want to do, practice is growing, you know how to do it. This isn't complicated stuff. But we think about our practice as a machine that has an input and an output, you know. So we, we've got like the we, the inputs coming in, it's like the patients and, and you know, going into our schedule. And the output is like everything that we're getting out of the patients. So the output is the money that we get from our patients for the services that we provide. So we want to increase our input, but also at the same time, we want to increase the output that we get from that input. So, you know, input could be things like capacity. Can we input more? So capacity could be how many hours are we open? You know, how many providers do we have? And then when we have the schedules with the hours and the providers, how can we be more efficient to fit more people into less hours or to fit, you know, better procedures into less hours? Because essentially our production and what we're getting out of it is it's a finite number. You can, you can only squeeze so much out of an orange. We've got this certain capacity that we have to work with. And it kind of reminds me of the story. We went to a carnival last summer with my daughter and, and a few of our family friends and their kids and stuff like that. And I got this guy that I know his name is John. He's from England. And he's sitting there and he's trying to throw the, the ping pong ball into the little, the goldfish aquariums. You know, you win the fish. And I walk up, I'm like, man, you're trying to win a goldfish? And he goes, well, I'll cut, I'll cut and throw this damn thing in this stupid fucking goldfish. And I'm like, Dude, this really doesn't look that hard. There's like literally five-year-olds standing over here doing this, but he literally couldn't do it. So I'm like, yeah, let me see if I could do this. So I, I was going to win him a goldfish to get to give to his daughter. And then the second I threw it, and the second the guy handed me, you know, I, I, I nailed it. The second the guy hands me the bag of the goldfish, my daughter walks up and she goes, oh my God, daddy, you won me a goldfish. And I'm just like, shit, <laughs> I, don't, I don't want a goldfish. Like no one's going to feed this damn thing. But, you know, she fell in love with it, and now we have a goldfish, which she named Norman. 
So he's in this bag. We put him in like a Tupperware thing. And then, you know, eventually we bought him like a legit aquarium, like the cheap one from like 30 bucks from like Walmart. It was like one gallon, nothing very large or elaborate. But as you might expect, you know, nobody was feeding this thing. Like I had to feed it. Like we told my daughter, this is your responsibility. You got to do this. But nobody was feeding this thing. So, you know, I, I took the responsibility of feeding it. I took the responsibility of cleaning the cage. And this pretty much became my goldfish. Now, after the novelty of having the goldfish wore off for my daughter and Ashley wore off for me as well, I stopped cleaning the aquarium so often. You know, and it would literally like turn green. I mean, it, almost like a brownish green. I mean, you could, I think the green's from the algae and the brown is from, well, you, you know what? It, and my buddy's over. He's like, dude, clean your goldfish aquarium. And I'm like, oh, dude, I'm just so sick of this dang goldfish. And he's like, he, he said something that made me think. He goes, you know, this is like, you know, us going to Taco Bell or, or White Castle and drinking like 15 Bud Lights and having to sit in the same car together the next day with the windows up and breathe that for like a month. So, so it kind of put me in perspective. And uh, I was like, oh, poor Norman, man. I got to do something for Norman. So I went and I bought a three-gallon aquarium for Norman. And we put him in it and he could swim all around. He's got way more room now. And Norman's like us. He's got the analytics. He's got the goldfish intel in his aquarium. And he just realized he had like a 300 increase in capacity. And the reason I tell this story is is that within two months of changing Norman's aquarium to a bigger aquarium, and I didn't know this about goldfish, he like doubled in size. Like he just grew. So his goldfish intel was telling him, dude, it's time to grow. And uh, yeah, I mean... Rock and roll Norman, man. And now this K or the aquarium, you know, I don't have to clean it as much, but he's still, uh, he's still my goldfish. You know, I get on my daughter about like, Hey, this is your goldfish, but you know how a seven year old, uh, treats pets. It's, it's my goldfish, but you know, back to the input and output thing. So, it, so I was just kind of talking about capacity. You know, you got the, everyone's got their own goldfish aquarium and that's their capacity. You know, we also got the output, you know, how can we increase the output we get from our input? And in, in a dental practice, that's going to be, you know, fee schedules. For the most part, it's going to be raising your fees or, you know, getting off PPOs. I mean, it could be like changing your payment policies, requiring prepay so you have better collections, things like that. But for most of us, it's going to be get, getting off fee schedules. And, and just talking about my practice, we are a PPO practice. We're still PPO practice. I'm not fee for service by any means, but um, I'm not against PPOs. You know, I think it's a workable model. I mean, was it, would it be better to be off them? Yeah. Am I working to get off them? Yeah. Am I almost off all of them? Ugh. Maybe in two years, but we're working at it. So that's what I'm going to talk about a little bit. So, you know, our input plus our output, you know, that equals our dollars. And, and like I said, money isn't the end all, but it, it gives us the time and convenience and the options to do what we want. So why not grow this thing? So in my book, I talk about this practice growth curve. And if you think of a graph where we're going to plot dollars on the y-axis and we have time going on the x-axis, a lot of people would think about growth as being like this, just, you know, this upward slow trend. But in my experience, it's been these kind of bursts and then a plateau and then a burst and then a plateau and then a burst and a plateau. It was never like constant growth. And there's a reason for that. And, you know, when you think about if you ever did a startup or you know someone who did a startup like I did, growing is fun. You know, the team is on fire. Like, and one of the best things about a startup is like everyone that you're, is your first hires that are there with you, they're like, dude, let's do this. Like, I'm on board. I am engaged. And you grow to a point until you plateau and then things get kind of more 
day-to-day and redundant, and there's nothing really new happening. You're just kind of chugging along. So, I mean, for me, these plateaus happened, like, right around, like, 85k a month when we were collecting 85k a month like we where i'm just i remember looking at my schedule saying man we, there's no way we can do anything more you know we, we can't fit more people in here where and we were scheduling kind of that back and forth uh, provider time scheduling and then we switched to block scheduling and i i think we jumped up like 20 30k like just like within two months it was just it was bam and so we hit this big growth that what we were hitting in monthly and then we kind of leveled off at about 125k at some point and then I, I, I'm like kind of go back and like remember this. I, eventually, I added an associate. I mean, we were so busy and had so many people. Like, I had to do something. I had to either pull off some PPOs or add an associate. I think we did both. So we pulled off some PPOs. I added an associate, and then as her schedule built, we we, we did another upward climb. And we reached another plateau, which might have been about 160k a month, maybe 180. I don't remember. And then, you know, she was only doing three days and I was doing three days. So then uh, she went to five days and then we hit another upward growth and then we got to about 215 a month. And then we started, you know, block scheduling her. And now we're where we're at here. Our, our last push was we implemented this bonus system about four months ago. Now we're doing roughly about 250K a month. So we should hopefully in 2018 collect $3 million. And this is on a five op practice. So, I mean, don't get me wrong. I mean, we, I don't have a giant office with a lot of providers running, but I mean, I have eight uh, doctor days every day and we got two or three columns of, run, or of hygiene running every day. We're open, we're split shifted. We're open from seven to 8 PM. Um, we've got some unsupervised or supervised hygiene. I think you call it where there's no doctor there. We got that on Thursday night. Um, but you know, it, my whole point is that every time we got to this plateau, we had to figure out a new way to push past it. And I would say that every time we got to the plateau, I didn't see us pushing any more out of it. So how do we push past these plateaus? You know, I just mentioned a few examples. And for the most part, everything I mentioned was just a capacity issue. You know, we added more provider hours. We added more um, hours that we were open. We added, uh, oh, I'm sorry, we added more additional providers and hours that we were open. So, but we also did another thing about capacity too, is the way that you schedule. I kind of mentioned that, you know, if you got finite amount of hours, a way to increase your capacity is to schedule better. Another way to increase your capacity is to be more efficient. So discussing the way that you do your procedures with your assistants, discussing the, discussing the way that you flow with your hygienist, like say, this is how we want to do it. This is what we're going to do. This is going to be our one act play. This is the way that we roll through the day and how we do everything, you know, buying enough inventory of supplies so that you could stock every single room. Because if, when you start producing at a high level, those minutes cost money. So every time you got to look at your assistant and say, Oh man, I need this. And she got to get up and go get it. It's like, dude, man, come on, let's, let's figure out a way that we never, ever have to get up. So we can increase the efficiencies, you know, now this is kind of like, I, my book goes into a lot about this and, and, you know, I, I can't explain all of it, but it, you know, this is a big part of my growth during my practice startup is that we had, sat down as a team at every point and said, man, what can we do better? And it wasn't like we were thinking logistically about it, like, okay, let's get up that plateau, let's get up that growth curve. It was more like we were always in a constant state of improvement. So I, I talk about this, like, circle in my book, of that, and this is like the kind of the wheel that rolls up that growth curve. And it's, it's you know, it's ideas turn into discussions, and discussions turn into implementation, and then you reevaluate. 
And from that reevaluation, you come up with new ideas and new discussions and new implementation and new reevaluation. And what's really important is that you discuss these things with your team and come up with all these ways together. Because, I mean, we're, we're human, man. We're not stupid. Your, your team is not stupid. We can all con- collaborate and come up with great solutions to how we can do things better, how we can produce more, how we can be a more efficient office and provide a better patient experience. So I can't stress enough, man, meetings. Got to have meetings with your staff. You know, do it. Don't worry about shutting the office down and closing down production. It'll be fine. So, you know... In my book, I also talk about, you know, we had it's leadership. You got to have that leadership component because leadership creates great teams and a great culture. So leadership creates those great teams, which are going to create together those great systems. And those systems are going to be implemented by your great leadership and your great team, creating more great systems implemented by the great leadership and so on and so on and so on. So we talked about capacity and increasing our capacity. So my office, my five op office, I think, I I mean, I could increase capacity by adding Saturdays, maybe having a doctor on Thursday night when we have that unsupervised hygiene. I don't know. I'm kind of good where I'm at. I don't really see the need to increase my capacity right now. I have 16 employees and and that's enough to kind of, you know, there's enough issues and drama to deal with on day to day that I just really don't want to add more to the mix. And you know what? I, I don't really have any, I don't have the drive. I'm trying to like back down, spend less time at the practice, spend more time with my girls, my wife, my two daughters at home. So that's the capacity element. Now let's talk about increasing the output. So that's the fee schedule thing. And, you know, there's companies that do this, like drop the PPO, or I think it's unlock the PPO now, or maybe it's switch. No, anyway, you know who they are. But they can do these fee schedule. They can negotiate your fee schedules. They can kind of line everything up in a nice little chart to show you what your bad ones are. But a great way to do this, and I'll share this in the show notes. I have this Excel file. You can play around with it. I mean, it's it's not complicated, Excel things. But you just list like 20 of your biggest codes, put your office fees are on there, and then put write a report for how many procedures you did every year. And then you can input the fee schedules from all your PPOs, And then you can see what percentage of your full fee you're getting. And what's surprising when you actually do this is that a lot of these PPO fee schedules, they'll give you a really great crown fee, but they're really like skimpy on like the bite wings or like the pro fees. And and you'll look at it and you're like, this is awesome, man. I'm getting like 1100 bucks for my crown or I, I, I don't know what it is in your area. But then when you actually put it in this analysis, you see that, oh man, they totally tricked me. Like I would get, I could take a lesser crown fee. And if I got a little bit more in these other areas, it would make a bigger difference. So I'll share that in the show notes. But what we're at with my practice right now is we were we, we opened up. We might have had like 12 PPOs. We're down to five. And we literally just sent our letters to get out of two more. So we'll be on only three now, one of which is Delta uh, Premier. And then the other two are these... Um, I think they're called third party when uh, connection and zealous, you know, I know there's, these are these ones that kind of hold a lot of little pieces of other insurance carriers. I think another one is Carrington, but th- we're not in that, but we're at the point where we're dropping these last two direct contracts. And then we're opting out of some of the insurances that are kind of a pain in the ass to deal with, because it's just getting tired of writing narratives, getting tired of them rejecting things like profies, like just, you know how it is, man, it, things are changing in the insurance industry and it's, It's unfortunate, but we're going to do that and we're going to see how things go because we have a capacity issue. We have our next, like if you want an appointment after five o'clock at my practice, 
and you're a new patient, we can't get you in until like July right now. And I'm, I'm recording this in March. I don't know when I'll release this, but you know, it's, we're booked out. Like my restorative schedule is booked out. Like you can't get an appointment with me for almost six weeks. And then my associate, she's about at four weeks. You know, we still have those blocks we're saving for same day emergencies, but dude, I mean, we need to do something. So we're going to start pulling off more fee schedules, trying to handle the capacity issue. Not that we're trying to kick patients out, but we're just having better output. We're increasing the quality of patients that we have. Because when you get out of those fee schedules and you have people that are going to see you for out of network, those are the people that are going to value what they do or value what you do rather. You know, they say, oh, you know, I think it's worth the extra money. And those are our good patients, man. You know, the bad patients are these tire kickers that are complaining about this and I only want to do one, one thing a year because of my insurance benefits. You know, when you talk to anyone who's full fee for service, that's all they say is, man, we got great patients. So I'm trying to tackle a burnout that I'm having with my staff. And, you know, another thing that we did that we're doing, I, I should say, is we have been harping on this 85% hygiene reappoint rate for a while. And we've been doing it for a while, and I think that's part of the capacity issue. So should you have an 85% reappoint rate? Yes. It will get you to that plateau. It will get you that capacity where you can push a little further. But right now, we're gonna, we're not, we just had a meeting. We said we're not going to care about reappoint rate. Let's not even reappoint people that we don't want to see again. You know? Let's go down to like a 50% reappoint rate. Because what's happening is if you had, say you had a 100% reappoint rate, six months from now, you wouldn't have a single spot in your schedule to put a new patient. You know how that goes. I mean, some offices can work off their existing patient base. And I'm not saying I can't, but you know, we get the most production off of new patients, at least in most offices. Some comp- comprehensive care and larger restorative practices may you know, disagree with that. So... I will post that spreadsheet, and you guys can play with that as much as you like. Um, I hope you get something out of it. But what we did is I, I, I went through there, and I, I put my last ones on there, and I put them in order, and I said, dude, well, let's just drop those bottom two. you know, And then we're going to see how it goes six months from now, and we'll drop another one. And I really think my office is a fee-for-service office, and I think we're in fee-for-service denial, and we've been in it for a while. And I think we're starting to realize that we got something special here and our patients really appreciate it. And it's time that we start moving the needle and getting less insurance dependent. So summing up, get to that plateau, man. You know, that's a great place to be. Like I said, it's boring because you're not growing, but it's a good place to be because then you can sit down with your team and try to come up with something. What are we going to do to push the needle? What are we going to do to take this to the next level? You know, Communication with your team. Got to have the meetings. You know, got to have the huddles in the morning. Have some outings. You know, build a great team culture. I mean, have you ever been on an outing? Have you ever did something fun with your team? What do you guys usually talk about? Work, right? I mean, you ever been like going out with some friends and like with their friends from work and you're sitting at the table like, dude, all they do is talk about work. It, it happens. So, I mean, that's a great meeting. It's just go do something fun together. So, Get to that capacity point. Get to the plateau. You got more options, you know. And if you're struggling to grow, I think you got to take a hard look at how that patient moves through your office. You know, what do they? What does your patient see? What do they hear? What do they feel? What kind of things are you saying? What does your staff say? What words are you saying? What are What are you doing to be more persuasive or or provide a a great patient experience? Um, I was just thinking about this day, like trying to break it down. What are all the things we do? And it's in my book, all the things that we do. But I thought of something I didn't put in the book is that when I like prep a crown and I'm about to leave the room because the assistant's going to do the CEREC, 
I sit the patient up and I say, hey, you know, take a break, you know, chill out. She's going to take care of your crown. Hey, can I get you anything? Can I get you like coffee or water or something? And I literally think out of the, if I ask that to a hundred patients, maybe one or two will say, yeah, I'll take some water or yeah, I'll take a coffee. And I think it's just like, just little things like that, being service oriented, just like trying to provide them a great experience. It doesn't take me anything to say that, but to the patient, that makes a big difference. So really look at like, what is your patient flow? What are you guys doing to create this magical experience that patients want to tell their friends about? Because if you think about what our colleagues are doing, dude, it's not hard, man. I mean, people haven't got a clue how to do this and people don't even give a shit about it. Most dentists don't even care. So if you do care, which you should, because it will pay large dividends, start getting intentional about it. So if you do it right, you're going to grow. You know, and if you're not, you're in trouble, you know, fix it. Everything is fixable. One of the great things about a dental office is that you can try anything for about 60 days and reevaluate it. Don't be afraid to sit down with your team and say, I want to provide the greatest patient experience possible. What do you think we could do? And then listen to what they have to say. So uh, I think that's it. I'm going to wrap it up there. So if you have any questions, man, email me, Facebook message me. Uh, I hope you got something out of this and, and share it if you like. You know, like the podcast, subscribe. And uh, everybody have a great week. Take care.